So what watching and listening for Jay's reaction here, I mean, you know, if you if you love something and then someone says there's an official whatever it is, you know, you sort of think, mm, I'm a bit intrigued. So what's happening with Discworld's The Night Watch at the moment is just, uh, very distressing. Um, coming from can't. a guy who's read all of the novels, listened to the audiobooks, which are just legendary. Mm. Um, what they've done with The Night Watch, especially some of the characters, it's just, no... It's not yeah. even Discworld Nightwatch. What really I'll isn't. say to you, right, what I'll say to you is, uh, I don't know whether you know much about this, John, um, but in, in the uh, in Terry Pratchett's Discworld series of mm-hmm. books, there are like 48 of these books, I think. Um, and there are a subset of the books that deal with the, the city watch, the police force of a specific city. And, um, and just before Terry Pratchett passed away, he sold all the rights to create TV shows and movies based on a number of his characters to different, production companies um uh, for for a long time before he passed away he was very controlling of it which is rightly rightly so considering what's happened since um but he was very he was very involved in the production there were um this was in, in not the production that's happening now um and in in the city watch it's a fantasy novel right but it's fantasy used to point out um issues in real life right it's a that's fantasy what makes fantasy great but it's a fantasy comp, well, fantasy satire, I think, less than fantasy comedy, fantasy satire. And so it takes the, these ideas and just literally plays with them, turns them on their head. They have in the Discworld series, there's a, a thing called the Clax, which is Pratchett had uh, explained it as what if the Victorians had invented the internet and how would they have done it? And so they use semaphore to send messages very over very long distances. And, uh, you know, that then, um, presents a problem because you can only send a character at a time. Well, what if you want to send a picture? Well, then you have to have color semaphore. How's that going to work if they can't see? And there's this whole discussion about how they build all that up in, in one of the books. But one of the other things that Pratchett was really um, uh, very vocal about is uh, gender politics and um, representation. And so there's a character in in the uh, Discworld series of novels who is called uh, Cheery. Cheery is a dwarf in in the Discworld version of dwarfs. There is no gender. A dwarf is a dwarf, right? And they're all, all dwarfs like, are male. Yeah, yeah. right. And they they've got the beard. They've got the uh, the the chainmail. They've got the axes. They've got that very masculine presenting look, and they're all quite short. Um, to uh, and and when Cheery comes along, Cheery, Cheery decides. No, I want to present to the world. I want to say to the world that yes, I do have the beard. Yes, I have the chainmail. Yes, I have the axe but I want to bring about uh, elements of my femininity, you know, because it's not spoken about. Genders aren't spoken about in that sort of dwarf. Um, uh, there is a point to all of this. <laughs> they, they aren't spoken in that sort of dwarf community. They're not, it's not, it, a gender is something that is figured out when a couple of dwarfs get married. They figure out what it means or what it is and how they're going to deal with it. They, you know, it's not, it's, it's not something they're very, there's, there's, about. A, there's, there's a Pratchett line that describes dwarf gender perfectly, and it's um, dwarfs can get married, go start a mine, because that's big dwarf stream, start your own mine. And they said, you only need to know who's a female until the baby's on solids. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. His, that's his reaction. He said, and after that, a dwarf's a dwarf. Yeah. You know, doesn't it doesn't matter. matter. 
And and the whole point with Chiri's sort of character arc is that she, when she gets to the big city and joins the police force, she wants to try and explore what it means to be a female. And she starts, maybe she starts wearing lipstick or maybe she starts acting a bit feminine. And it's a huge deal for the, for the dwarf community. And in order to represent that, what the producers of the BBC America Discworld, the watch series have done is they've hired a six foot two, <laughs> a six foot two, non-binary actor so someone who doesn't identify as either gender or any gender to represent someone who vehemently identifies as female so the, i just i just can't there's <laughs> one of the very small problems with it so far and all they've done is released images That's and it. this and this is a watch where in the watch if if there's a race a particular race that comes into the, the city one of them is pushed into the watch of the police force. So you've got like Medusas, trolls, dwarfs, um, lycanthropes, slash werewolves, vampires, anyone you can think of as a police officer, trolls, gnomes, zombies. Um, in, in the book, it's described, um, if you have a will strong enough, you'll just keep living. After, after you die, you'll just get up again and get on with your life, which is really weird. But wow. as, yeah, that's that's how he describes. I, I'm, I'm not familiar with it. I haven't read any of this, so this is all new to me. Oh, Interesting, but yeah, yeah. but it's just the fact that yeah, they've they've kind Ch- of Cherry or how she pronounced her name, Cherie, is like oh, just just above four foot tall, and mm-hmm. she's got a beard that goes down to her knees. She's a proper dwarf, right? And then they hire a over a six foot tall actor who, who to yeah, play this who dwarf identifies as non-binary which is totally I'm, I'm totally fine with that not a problem but, but it's it like kind of doesn't the, fit the character <laughs> doesn't fit but the reason that i say that is that the what has clearly happened as the as the uh, details have been announced is that bbc america or whoever the production company is because i think bbc america are overseeing it whoever the production company is they clearly had a this is a police procedural tv show with a bunch of interesting characters to play with and then they've been given, hey, if you want to make a p- police procedural fantasy satire show, here's the rights to a bunch of characters. And they've gone, oh, fantastic. Control an F. Change this name. Uh, change that name. Print. Yeah. Go do it. Do, do you see what I mean? It's like, uh, you know how like um, um, Roddenberry was originally really progressive for the time. We mentioned it earlier on. Star Trek, the original series, was incredibly progressive for the time that it was made in, you know, um, you, at the time, you, if you had an ensemble cast, it was an ensemble of white men, <laughs> you know, you didn't have an Asian American, um, in, in the, the, in, as one of the main characters, you didn't have an African American as one of the characters, an African American woman was even more sort of rare to have as a main character. So imagine they took one of those characters and said, so, um, so we'll take this character here who is, african-american woman and we'll have them played by a white man completely undermining the whole point that roddenberry was trying to make by hiring specifically writing an african-american woman for that role and that that to me feels like that's what they've done but what i'm getting at is you have to be really careful with uh franchised licensed stuff (laughs) do i need to mention alien colonial marines (laughs) now you say that i really enjoyed that game so it, it was it was good once they released all of the software patches that actually fixed the game that they released. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have uh, either of you guys seen the show uh, Carnival Row? Ooh, no, I haven't. No, Cassie. I, 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 in the U.S., it's on uh, Amazon Prime, so I don't know how it's being released in the U.K., if at all. But here's the premise of it. 
uh, imagine a world like ours with people like us, uh, a different geography, but it's an Earth-like planet. And imagine if you had that sort of medieval world that had all the sort of mythical creatures, fairies, uh, uh, trolls, you know, all the, like they really existed on a separate continent. And accelerate that to sort of the Victorian era and what that would be like. And that's what the world is in the game. I mean, in the game, in, in the show. And the idea is that the uh, human continents that have people like us, we are very industrious. And so we've got a lot of industry and like mining and like contraptions and stuff, you know, stuff that we would recognize, you know, railroads and, you know, things like that. But the fairies had a lot and their sort of continent had a lot of natural resources. So, of course, some of the human countries, not all of them, because it's not like there's one unified human government. There's different countries. Some of them would say, let's go get that stuff. And so what happened was some of the – this is all in the backstory. None of this is a is a mm. spoiler for the show. Um, they went over there and had a war on these – you know, what we consider the mythical creatures to take their land and all their resources and enslave them uh, for their own purposes. And uh, some of the human – countries were on the their side and so that the story takes place in one of those countries uh after the war is over when uh the, those human countries that were on the fairy side decided that it was a lost cause and pulled out and the fairies and all of the mythical creatures were sort of now an underclass uh you know their, their lands have all been taken over they've been driven out of them and they're basically like an underclass and it's a it's really in the a way to tell a story about uh marginalized and oppressed people is, is this the show that's got um, Orlando Bloom in it? Yes. I know which one you're on about. I haven't seen it, but it's on it's on my to-watch list. It is very, very good. It is very, very good. It's really excellent. Um, and, and the great thing about it is that it's not based on anything except the show itself. Mm. Uh, the only thing that, that exists outside the screen that I would recommend is there's actually a map that they put out of the world. That ah. is very helpful in understanding some of the geography, yeah. um, which you can find with a simple Google search. That's the only thing that like outside the show that's useful, but it's all about what that would be like, what would actually happen in sort of a realistic world where those creatures existed and how they would exist as an underclass and what how they would live their lives and, mm. and all that stuff. And because it's set in this mythical place, you can tell these other stories, which is one of the great things about, I think, sci-fi fantasy in general is that, you know, if, if you tell these stories in our our world, you know, people bring all their current preconceptions, right? But if you say, well, this is some other planet, right? This isn't us. Then, then, well, you know, we can watch it and you can tell these stories that you can't get away with if you're talking about quote unquote real life places and people, which makes it great. So everyone should check out Carnival Row. Season two is on the way, I understand. Sweet. Excellent. So uh, John and I uh, connected over on Reddit. Uh, there's this wonderful subreddit there for uh, podcast guest exchanging. So you say, hey, I'm looking for some guests and I want to be a guest and just, people just get together. So I'm fully expecting um, to start seeing Arcade Attack post on there. A little bit of a shot <laughs> fired. Um, uh, just so you know, John, to give you a little bit of context there, um, Arcade Attack are another UK podcast, but they we have a little bit of like friendly banter. Um, ah. in the, Every time I come up with an idea or Squidge comes up with an idea for an episode, we're actually, so 
Inside Baseball Talk. We're recording this August 15th, and our current plan puts this on going out in January of 2021. <laughs> We're kind really? of that far ahead of ourselves. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the problem is that we come up with an idea, we record the episode, Squid goes through the edit and the post-production, I start going brilliant, um, I'll start putting the feelers out, getting some excitement about it. Squid then creates a teaser trailer where he just sort of chops up the episode into a two-minute like little audio clips and then I build a video around it. And then by the time it's almost ready to release, I care to are like, Hey, tomorrow's episode is about this thing. And I'm like, we just done that like six months ago. And we're ready to release it now. It's just stop stealing my ideas. I don't know how you're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> They're stealing your internet cookies, man. That's it. But I think, I think it's just, you know, things just come up in conversation, don't they? And, and in, in the realm of sort of video games, there's only so many topics, right? And so you're, you're naturally going to step on each other's toes. But it just, it's like, it keeps happening. And <laughs> I'm like, have you hacked my laptop? <laughs> it's not a coincidence at this point. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe you shouldn't be using Google Docs, you know, and you, you need Man, to like it. engage in, you know, the high, high, high security you know, uh, secret key exchanges, you know, using a separate channel, right? You know, one-time pads. That drops. Pads. <laughs> that drops. What, we'll, what we'll do for next time is we'll we'll print off the episode plans, or we'll just mail them out to people. <laughs> so send them out right. via carrier pigeon. Raven. We'll send them out via Raven. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all of that was a wonderful little uh, little sort of tangent away from what I was actually saying, which was, um, yeah, John and I connected over on um, the podcast Guest Exchange subreddit, which is a wonderful place. Um, there's lots of parts of Reddit that are not as wonderful, <laughs> so yes. well put it, but there are lots of places, they tend to be like the, the smaller niche areas that are absolutely wonderful the people in them are really supportive and all that kind of stuff but we connected over there because i was i was asking for people hey do you want to come on the show and talk about video games because we'd love to talk to some new people about video games and uh, john was um quite happily he quite happily shared a story with me about um everquest so i was wondering john could you um maybe retell that story can we dive into that story that sure kind of- let's let's do it um so maybe i should start by actually talking about what everquest is and then i'll talk about how i got into it sure um, so as we record this in 2020 uh, everquest is probably one of the longest running and most successful massive multi- multiplayer online role-playing games uh, it began in march of 1999 and, you know, for those of you who are PC gamers out there, I mean, that is like, you know, I had a Voodoo 3 card and I was, you know, Sierra Hotel back in the day, for those who understand that acronym, uh, for having that Voodoo 3 card. And the game looked beautiful on it. And it was just, it was designed like in dial-up internet days with all of that technology. And it's very much a sort of D&D style uh, m- multi-user dungeon type game that has some okay graphics uh, when it first came out. Um, and the idea is you would pick a class and a character. You know, you could be a cleric or a warrior or a uh, uh, you could be a, a thief or what they call a rogue in the game or a, a paladin or, or a, a bad version of a paladin, which is a shadow knight. And you could go on adventures and build up your stats and get armor and loot and all of that sort of stuff. And, it, you know, very simple in its concept, but in the execution of the game, they designed something which really just hit the right markers for a lot of people. 
And that's evidenced by the fact that the game is still going on, has had, what, 20-something expansions over these past, what, 21 years the game has still been running, uh, if more than that now, I think. And it's expanded and continued to develop new playable content, new zones, new character classes, new races, new abilities. I mean, they've layered so much stuff on top of it. And so I appreciate the game, first of all, just from a technical perspective of keeping the doggone thing running all this time has been amazing, uh, given the changes in technology that have happened over that time. Uh, second, the quality of the gameplay is really stellar. And there was something magical, especially about the early game, in that the game was punishingly difficult if you made a mistake. Uh, so to give you just an example of what it was like, and I'm going back to like the early, early 1999 version of the game. If I had bought the game and installed it and started my character um, and just gone through the a typical character selection screen like you might see in a lot of games, and it started me in a starting city, and you being one of my friends had also bought the game and went through character select and started on the opposite side of the planet, it could well take me five hours of very incredibly high danger, high risk uh, gaming just to get to where you were. And if at any point in that five hours, which included running through vast, large zones full of creatures which were hostile to me, riding two boats, uh, and you would have to wait for the boat to arrive, get on the boat, and then go through a whole zone of nothing but you sitting on the boat, uh, and then getting off the boat and then continuing your, your journey... If at any point you made a wrong turn or the wrong monster noticed you, you would be killed. And then your character would reappear without any of your equipment or any of your gear uh, back at your starting place. And your character would be still have a corpse at the location where you died. And it would decay and disappear with all your stuff if you did not go and reclaim it within a certain time period. So you, this sounds horrible to people, right? I mean, this is like, why would I want that? <laughs> but there was something in this game, in the way that it rewarded you for, for working with other people to achieve incredibly difficult things. And even if your character got to be somewhat powerful, if you made a mistake, if you uh, took a wrong turn, if the bad thing happened to you, uh, even if you didn't cause it, uh, you really paid a serious price. And experience was slow to get, and you lost experience every time you died. Uh, even if you got resurrected in the game, it only gave you back a percentage of what you lost, so you were never fully restored. Uh, and that's mostly held true to today, uh, even now in 2020. Uh, there's a few exceptions to that, but there are just a few. It's not common. So uh, it really was a punishing game, but it rewarded at the same time for working in groups and uh, it was really hard to get your character to a level where they could play the high-end game. That was just, in and of itself, getting to that level was an achievement. And that was the game that, that I grew up in and had played. And I, my first exposure to it was entirely by accident. Um, I had moved in the, in the United States, as we're recording this, I, I live in Las Vegas. Um, I had moved here from the East Coast in 99, and I didn't know anybody. I had moved here for a job. And uh, I took the job and I had basically my free time when nothing to do. And I was walking through a big box store and I saw this game EverQuest on the shelf. And I was like, Oh, this looks interesting. And I didn't really know what it was. And I just took a shot, bought it, took it home, installed it. And that was July of 99 or June of 99, maybe. 
and I started playing a character and I got to the high end levels of the game uh, within a year or so. And I got to be in a high end raiding guild. And so the game for a lot of classes, uh, I picked a, a healing character, a healing class. And so my particular character is not a character that you can really play solo. Uh, in fact, my character is not very useful at all. <laughs> uh, if I'm just by myself in a zone, it's because I'm traveling through. I, I don't really do anything. <laughs> you know, I can cast some healing at you. <laughs> you know, that's really it. <laughs> and so like a lot of the hardcore gamer people, you know, they wouldn't pick a class like that because it's not a class where you can like, you know, I have high DPS, man, damage per second, and I totally dominate and destroy, you know, like that is, I don't do any of that. <laughs> and so... My character is entirely dependent upon working with other characters. And so a lot of people don't want to play a character like mine. But when you get into the high-end game, if you've picked like a necromancer, for instance, is a character uh, that you would want to, if you want to be like, I want to be by myself, I want to play a massively multiplayer online game, but I don't want to be around people. If you can reconcile that, that's like the people who play necromancers, right? They're like, yeah, I want to play this game that's very social and not have any social interaction. And I want to play mm -hmm. totally isolated. You're a necro. And so you go out and you can totally do stuff on your own. You, you have these pets you can create for yourself and, you know, you can solo monsters and, you know, you, do, you really don't need to group with anybody. You get to the high end game and now there's like a million high end necromancers who have grown up in the game being solo characters. And I'm not saying they're not valuable, but, but they don't need you. <laughs> Yeah. To, to do the high end content. Whereas my character, you know, I can't do anything on my own. Really. I get to the high end game and it's like, you're a healer. Come join my guild. You know, come join my raid. You know? <laughs> John, are you logged in? Why are you not logged in? Please log in now. You know, and, and, and so, you know, it literally is a case where if there is going to be a raid, which means high end content that's done with large groups, mm. meaning like a group in EverQuest is usually six players. So that's like, you know, you get together, you form a little group, you go off, you fight some monsters, you know, and there's certain rewards in the game for that at, at every level. But for the high-end content, you need 50, 60 people. And even if you have 60 people, if you don't have a sufficient number of healers, you're done. Like, you, you, you are not going to do anything, you know. And even if you have warriors that are, like, got massive equipment with all the best possible stuff, you know, and the high skill, very skilled players, you ain't doing nothing. If you don't have sufficient number of healers and other classes too, I don't mean to, to make it sound like the healer thing, but that's the kind of character that I have. And so I really enjoy being able to help, but you're not going to be able to look at the, you know, game and be like, Oh, my character scored a winning blow, you know, that I, yeah. I will never get that in the game. But those characters that did do those things, I contributed to that. So I get a lot of psychic reward out of that of being like, the person who's helping, <laughs> you know, I, I like that part of it. It's very rewarding uh, for that, but you know, I don't get the spotlight, you know, and that that's okay. So, but I, I really enjoy being a critical part of it all. So um, I played that game from 99 till about 2003 uh, and I was in a high end guild and it really was at the time, especially a full-time job. Uh, we didn't have discord and, you know, text i mean we had text messages you know phone texts but it, it was in the days of flip phones where you had to like you know hit the three button three times to get the right <laughs> character so we mostly used irc and if i didn't log in by a certain time I, like i had people calling me you know like you need to log in yeah because the game is exclusive 
uh, and I don't mean like it excludes people, but I mean that it didn't support multiple people doing the same thing at the same time. So if the game was, let's say, brought down for maintenance, when the game came back up, every creature would be alive. So if you're after some particular target in the game, it's a race on who, which guild can amass enough people yeah. to get there first, you know? And so like, you know, it was like, where, where are you? Where, like, why are you not logged in? Like, we need to go like now, 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 you know? And it was like this <laughs> massive race. And there were these guilds that were in Hong Kong. Uh, and it was like their prime playtime when the servers would come back up after maintenance. And so it was always like a race to see what they hadn't gotten yet, you know, and what was still up. And so like the other US time guilds, you know, what, what, what might we be able to get? Uh, and all this kind of stuff. So it was really a game that really pushed you to work in groups, you know, and if you didn't want to, you, you didn't have to, but you, it really did reward you even at the group level for working with other people. And, and developing long-term relationships with other players. And the game is still like that. Um, and so I played the low-end content, mid-content, high-end content for, at the time, all the way through about 2003. And then I decided to uh, go to college and get a graduate degree. And I took some other jobs, which required a lot of travel. So I just wasn't able to, to maintain in the game because of my what was going on in my life. So I, I quit... Uh, and I brought my character to a special place for my character in the game that would mean a lot to my character. Not that it was special to other people, but a place that my character would be interested in. And I parked the character there and I thought, that's it. I'm done. You know, that like you're, you're signed off, hmm. you know, and I just never gave it another thought um, ever again. And uh, in 2020, all the madness that was going on in the world uh I still have a great job, but I'm not traveling. Uh, my kid is at that age where he doesn't require constant attendance by me. You know, he's off doing his own thing and he's very self-sufficient, which is a great thing. Um, and I had a little bit of slack in my day, uh, not having to do carpool and, you know, take the kid to school, drop the kid off because it's all virtual now. So I said, hmm, you know, maybe I can, you know, maybe I can get back into gaming, right? So I saved up some of my Quatloos. It's a little Star Trek reference for all you Star Trek fans out there. <laughs> and I decided to go out and treat myself and get like a ridiculous, over-the-top, stupid-level gaming machine. <laughs> and so, like, I, you know, you know how it is when you're like looking at putting together a rig, right? And you're like, oh, you know, I gotta really get into like frames per second, digital ray tracing, you know, do now these Ryzen machines, you know, and the Intel machines and like the NVIDIA cards and the ATI cards, and like I need to like dig seven layers deep to look at the, the geek bench scores, you know, and then it, and I, I actually did that. Now I did have to limit myself to laptops. Uh, just because of the way my desk is and the way the house is, I, I needed laptop, right? So that was like, that eliminated a lot of stuff right off the bat. But so I went off and I got this ridiculous gaming laptop, right? The thing shows up. And by the way, I, I'm actually wearing the t-shirt that they sent me with it. So I got a t-shirt from the, <laughs> from the company, right? So I got this Falcon Northwest, uh, gaming laptop, beautiful machine. You know, they did a really nice job putting it together. And so you get this moment where, you get the machine, you have it installed, you know, and I've been playing some games on bootcamp on my MacBook Pro. I've been playing some Skyrim on there. And uh, I played Alien Isolation, actually, or the Mac version of it uh, through Steam on there. So I've been playing a little bit of games, but now I'm like, now I can play literally anything I want, right? I mean, you know, maybe 
you know, it's a laptop. Doesn't there were no limits, right? I could just turn down the effects a little bit, but there's nothing I couldn't play. And I'm like, what am I going to play? You know, like I'm rubbing hands, you know, and I get steam up, and I was like, you know, everything is green, man. I can buy it all, you know. And so I bought a few different things. I played a few old favorites. Just on a lark, I was like, I wonder if EverQuest is still around. I I downloaded it, and it took me about 15 minutes just to locate whatever email address I had used to sign on. <laughs> and to remember the – I believe it or not, I actually remembered the password. Wow. Uh, which was like a feat in and of itself, uh, <laughs> I guess. So I was actually able to log into the game. And I had to think, like, where is my character? And then I remembered I was in a safe place. So, like, I knew when I logged in, I wouldn't instantly be killed because that can be a big problem in EverQuest if you get killed in the wrong place. Like, that's not a simple solution. And I didn't remember all the game mechanics and, like, even, like, oh, is this WASD or, like, did I have to use the arrow keys? Like, I was that – I was transported back to a noob. (laughs) (laughs) And I – but I had played this game at the highest level and I'm like, John, you can figure it out. So I log in. And I'm moving around and like now they increase the level cap. So like my character, which at one time was super well geared and had all this like extreme loot and powers and abilities was now considered very like boring and like not anything even worth talking about. And in fact, if you went out and bought the game today, you could buy a what's called a heroic character that starts you at level 85. Like, 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 here's your, here's a quick start kit is basically what you want to think about it. And you start at level 85 with a whole bunch of great gear and a whole bunch of great stuff. You know, that's better than what I had because <laughs> my character was level 60, uh, which is what the max was when I had quit the game. So it really was a case where I was, my, I was basically starting from zero. And if I had rolled up a heroic character, I'd have been better off than I was with my original. So I just decided to play as a solo character and they'd made a lot of adjustments to the game to make it easier to play as a solo character, even for my character class, uh, which can't do anything on their own. They now have mercenaries you can hire in the game to fight for you. Ah. So I uh, created a tank mercenary uh, who would do the actual like sword fighting. And I would just hang back and cast spells and heal the tank, (laughs) you know, so that like the monsters are not coming near me because my character is not for that. Right. You know, I don't, I don't need any, any, any contact from monsters. Uh, so I literally didn't even want to group because I didn't trust myself how to play anymore. And I basically <laughs> had to relearn the game because as a healer class, you feel really bad if anybody dies. Uh, cause that's, it's like, even the players sometimes think it's always your fault. If they, even if they do something stupid and die, it's somehow your fault. And they'll tell you how to play your, your character. Whereas, like, if I tell the, the <laughs> wizard how to handle their direct damage spells, like, they'll laugh at me. But if the wizard dies, you know, they'll tell me which spe- which heals they want and in what order they want them. And it's like, dude, that that's – calm down. I, I got it, you know. <laughs> so I had to go through the whole relearning the game phase. And it has sucked me in that – it and but the funny part is I have this ridiculous gaming computer – and I am playing on a game where everything's set ultra max. I can't even get the discrete video guard video card to kick in. It's playing off the integrated graphics with everything on max. <laughs> and it's running beautifully, right? At full screen resolution, spell effects, particle effects, every kind of effect turned on, everything at max. And I can't even get the discrete, you know, the, the discrete video card is basically having a nap, <laughs> right? But that's not what the game's about. That's not what the game's about. And 
they've still managed to keep, in my opinion, this game that rewards cooperative gameplay. And, and it's still, even though they've lessened a lot of the punishment in the game, you know, there's like, you don't have to go ever summon your corpse, like go get your corpse ever again. There, there's a place you can go in the game and pay some in-game currency, the platinum pieces, to get them to summon your corpse for you. And you can even buy resurrection tokens to get it resurrected and restore most of your lost experience. Um, and even that little bit of experience penalty, they built in, how weird is this? They've built in a collectible card game into this massively multiplayer game. It's called Overseer. So like if you if you just log in to the game and you only have 10 minutes to play, you can play the collectible card game. <laughs> <laughs> and you can get that'll give you an experience you'll get experience bonuses for your character by playing this that'll overcome that little experience loss. So like if you die, yeah, I play some pay some platinum pieces to a corpse summoner to get my corpse back. I play a little bit of overseer and I'm right back to where I was. You know? So like even the penalties they're an annoyance now. Hmm. Whereas like in that 99 version of the game, it was punishing. And like, if you lost your character, like, cause you always wore your best stuff, you know? And if you lost your corpse, you seriously needed help. And there were times where like, if you were in a really dangerous place in the game, like with a, with a raid, you might need to call out on the server to get other players to come and help you re- restore, like from a wipe in a really dangerous place. So like 60, 80 people might be helping you do nothing but capture your bodies, you know, back in the game. I mean, it so it, it really forced you to work with other people in a game. And so what's really weird to me is that I'm still playing the vanilla version of the game, the, the game that the game publisher makes, uh, Daybreak Games. There are um, tacitly, I don't want to characterize it, but I'll say that there are allowed these people to do these game simulators out there. So there's what's called the Project 99 EverQuest servers, where they're re-emulating the 99 version of the game. Oh, and these yeah. are private servers that people are volunteering to play on that are using the, the modern client, but playing with the 99 rule set, uh, with the 99 version of the zones, you know, that the, only the stuff that was available at certain eras of the, in the, certain eras of the game. And they're going back to that experience. And this isn't, you know, where you could look everything up on the internet. All the quests are known. All the stuff is known. But, but people really like that version of the game. And what's really strange is Daybreak, which is the company that, that publishes the game, they're making these special servers that they release from time to time, which are called TLPs, time lock progression servers, where again, this is the default vanilla version of the game. You can, they'll announce that this new server is launching. And, uh, they even have like different modified rule sets. So like they just launched these two new servers about a couple months ago. Uh, one is called Aradun. The other one's called Rizlona. And Aradun is a, what's called a true box time locked progression server, which means that they have code in the game. That means you can only have one instance of the game running on a computer. And it's the 99 rule set progressing as the original game progressed. So like the first expansion came out in three months. So then they'll add that expansion in three months or whatever it was. I don't remember the exact time, but it's whatever that time progression was. And they're limiting it to one. So you can have 10 computers and play 10 characters, but you can only play one character on a computer. Then there's Rizlona, which is also time-locked progression, but it's multi-box. So you can, if your computer can handle running seven characters on one PC, you can run seven characters on one PC. You can run a whole raid off boxed characters, meaning one human player running 50 player characters doing high-end content 
on Rislona, if you can manage it, if you can somehow manage it, uh, you can do it, which there's, there's ways of doing this. Uh, but they're releasing different versions of the game like this. They had another server that like every character starts at level 85, you know, like that's, so that's a different rule. So they're coming out with all these different rule set servers, but it's the same basic game just in different varieties. And I have not been able to stop playing it. Even though I spent all this stupid money on this gaming computer, I'm still playing this game from 1999 and I have no regrets and will not apologize. (laughs) No, I I completely, completely empathize with that. I remember um, one of the first uh, desktop PCs that I ever um, had of my own, right? I'd have been 11, 12, 13, something around around that age. And, uh, you know, it was a very expensive piece of kit. And all I did was play Sonic the Hedgehog on a Mega Drive slash Genesis emulator. And, you know, my mom kept saying to me, you know, I, 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 could, I should have just gotten you a Mega Drive. It would have been so much cheaper. <laughs> well, the, the, one of the things about EverQuest specifically is that it's not a game for, for that you can just dip into for 20 minutes. You know, it really isn't. I mean, unless you're doing something like there's a trade skills component in the game, whereas if you have the if you have the stuff you need to do trade skills, like the raw materials, you can log in and, you know, try to do combines and try to build something, you know, just do level ups. But you can't do anything really of substance, except maybe that overseer collectible card game I was talking about. You can do that. Uh, but to, 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 to find a group, to travel where the group is, even though they may travel a lot easier in the game, uh, you, you really can't do anything in less than an hour. You know, and if it, it, to, to, and if you're in a really good group, you're not going to want to leave. You're going to want to stay there and farm that for as much as you can, you know, to, to find a good group where you're really in the flow of the game. And, you know, you've got the right characters with the right skills who are playing correctly. You know, that doesn't always happen. And so or you or even if you have that group getting to a place where you can put that to the right level test to get worthwhile experience. Again, it's not something that's can always happen. So. You know, it's a game that sort of rewards playing in like three hour chunks at the very minimum, you know, and even if you're in a raiding guild, you know, a raiding guild is, you know, it's going to be three hours of raiding on a given night. And so now the game is to the point where they have instances uh, in the game, which they didn't always have. So if your group wants to go do a thing in a specialized dungeon, have a specialized encounter, you talk to a character that's in the game and it creates a special version of the zone just for your group. And so 10 other groups could be doing the same thing as you, but you're not interfering. Mm. The old version of the game did not have that. So if you were in a dungeon and there would be 20 other characters in the dungeon too, and you could interfere with each other, you could accidentally pull a monster onto another player. And, you know, there, there was lots of opportunities for that. And that was always a big issue in the game. Something they used to call trains, uh, where, you know, you have 20 monsters following you and you're trying to get to a safe place and you actually pull them right over another group. And all of a sudden the monsters are like, Oh, who are these little tasty snacks? And, and, and they wipe out, you know, and then they blame you. And it's, it's a, you know, and they're like, what guild is that? You know, and it's a game where on, again, in the vanilla rule set, it's not a game that has PVP in it. So you can't necessarily go up to another character and, and, and attack them. It, the game just doesn't allow it, uh, except on certain servers that do. And that's a whole different, ball of wax that but that's you you have to you know you're getting into that if you go into those servers that's a special case so uh, yeah and, and so uh it it really is just a there's some magic in that game that i don't quite think has been replicated uh quite yet by a lot of other games and i tell you i've tried to play some 
other online RPGs. I, I tried to get into Star Trek Online. Being a Star Trek guy, I thought, man, I would love that. Just didn't hold it for me, you know, because it's basically a game that allows you to be solo a lot. It doesn't have that. Yeah, you can join a fleet and you can do this other stuff. I, I tried Eve Online, which is very famous, you know. Uh, I had my little mining ship and I would just go around and do mining for a little bit. But I was like, this feels like a single player game to me, <laughs> you know, and I, I don't know. I just didn't I just didn't have that same feeling that I got from EverQuest when accomplishing some major thing with 60 other people, you know, and uh, really defeating some major objective uh, and seeing my tune level up. It's uh, it's a glorious feeling. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Um I, I have to have to admit, I've never played EverQuest. Um, I get the feeling that it wasn't as um, big over here in the UK. I mean, I may be completely wrong. It may be that, that you used to play alongside loads of people from the UK. I don't know. But uh, from yeah. what... Oh, well, there you go. You see? <laughs> there's, there's even, a, uh, there's even a, an EverQuest server that's located in Europe uh, to provide better better play experience for lag time. Uh, and all that. So the, yeah, the Antonius Bale server uh, is in Europe and that, that one is primarily populated with European players. Oh, I see. See, there you go. I see that just proves that, that uh, I was wrong. <laughs> but, but, but the game is, I do want to say, if anyone's interested and wants to check it out, the game is free to play. Uh, they do sell accounts. And if you buy a subscription, you, you get certain other things that you, there's caps on your character and certain things you can't do, but just to dive in and try the game, it's totally free. And uh, if you're really successful at the game and really good at it and you have enough platinum pieces, there's actually an in-game thing you can buy to enable you to get an unlimited account. So you can you can buy a chrono in the game, which is one month of a premium account. So you can buy those in the game from other players. Uh, and also the test server is completely free to play unlocked. So anyone who wants to play the full unrestricted version of the game, you can log in a test, but it's the test server. So you never know what they're messing with, but, <laughs> yeah. but you can log into the test server and they have a very vibrant community over there uh, on test. So you can totally play on test, totally unrestricted and get the full gaming experience. I like that. I like that. So like from a, from a software engineering programming point of view. That's a great way for me to, if I, if I was a member of the EverQuest dev team, I'm getting hundreds of people to try out the new feature without them knowing that they're trying out the new feature. And oh no, they know. Loads of, oh, well, like, <laughs> and I get they, loads of they, like feedback about bugs and stuff. That, that's, <laughs> that's probably the number one uh, topic of conversation on the fan sites is, hey, did you see what they just did on test? <laughs> like, like if you go on the official forums and look in the, you know, sort of the, the main comments, I'll, there'll be a lot of stuff in there. Like I heard they're doing X or Y on test. And, and then there'll be some players from test who will show up and say, oh, I did some log parsing. You know, and I think they changed my weapon or, you know, this spell is not as effective as it used to be because some stuff they talk about, some stuff they don't. Mm. So uh, some of the players capture all their logs from the game and then you, there's various log parsers you can use to see things. And uh, there's even real-time log parsers, which are very useful in the game, which are allowed. Um, and for the high-end game, it's very essential to, to play with some of those uh, assistive tools. So if you're a high-end player, you're going to be running with the game. You'll be running with this thing called Gina, uh, which is a, a live, real-time log parser that talks to you uh, while you're playing the game. So what'll happen is you'll you'll join a raid, and and what'll happen is the raid leader will share a Gina package, which is basically a set of triggers. And because it's in your log, because all Gina does is look at the text log, your EQ text log file in real time, 
and there'll be a Gina code that someone will say to your character. And Gina will pick up on it and be like, oh, Jay is trying, wants me to download this Gina package because it knows the code, right? So my Gina client will say, Jay wants to share this with you. I say yes. And then, so what'll happen is it'll be a specific set of triggers for a specific raid. So for example, there's this one really good raid right now against the Icebound Avatar of War. Sounds cool. And he's a very hardcore mob. And it's like a 20, 30 minute fight from the time the, the fight starts. And it literally is just a slog where like these, your best warrior characters are just standing up to this gigantic monolithic beast and just taking vast, vast amounts of punishment. And all the healing classes like me are just pouring redonkulous amounts of healing into keeping this little guy just standing up, you know. I mean, the numbers are just preposterous. The first time I saw Log Parse out of it, I nearly fell out of my chair because <laughs> someone was like, oh, John, your character came in fourth in the healing Olympics today and did 3.2 billion heal points, you know. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know? And like I was one of 20. You know, healing characters pouring healing into the main tank in that, in that thing. Anyway, I'm getting really far adrift. So, but the point is like you're, you're fighting this major character in this major engagement. And at various points, the icebound avatar of war will randomly pick player characters and will say things like squidge, bend the knee. And if you do not, when he calls your name, you will get dead immediately. (laughs) So, and, and if you're just playing the game, like the, your scroll bar of like the stuff in game is flying by at warp six. Cause there's like 70 players or 50 players around you doing things and you're not going to see that. Uh, and so, or, or even if it pops up on your screen in the main, uh, bar, you're, you're not going to see, you may not notice it. So you'll have a Gina trigger that'll say, you know, the avatar of war says squidge bend the knee. That's my character's name. So you'll want it to say, you know, Press duck, John, like right now, right? You're like you'll want it to, so it'll talk to you and it'll use the, the built-in voice uh, that's built into Windows uh, to say, you know, Avatar of War says bend the knee now. So, you know, like you better hit your X key because if you don't, you're going to be looking at, you know, your dead character on the screen and you're going to be looking at all the other characters doing <laughs> the thing and you're not there. <laughs> so you, you got to have Gina going and you got, and usually a lot of the high-end raids will use Discord as well. Yeah. So you're you're on your Discord. You got your Gina triggers go. I mean, it's like a whole process, you know, and it's really involved. But man, is it rewarding when you when you complete the task? I like it. Um, th- th- there's a whole bunch of stuff going on there. I just want to. One of the things that I, that I, I I genuinely believe is that any activity, right? Video games, sport. Um, if you're religious and you do. Um, you know, church based stuff, whatever it is, whatever community activity that you do, um, it can be really useful for uh, getting you into a community or finding a community. And there was something you said there towards the beginning of the, the, the EverQuest journey <laughs> was that you'd moved to this new location. And you didn't know anyone and, mm-hmm. you know, Hey, I've got this game and oh wow, I can talk to people and, and we can organize IRC and we can chat about stuff and, immediately you're in an area where you don't know anyone, but immediately there's some acquaintances. I don't know where you jump straight to friends, but yeah, you, you've got someone to talk to. You've got someone who can, you can say, Oh, I had a really bad day today. Or I had a great day today. And I think that that community, regardless of what the community revolves around, if it's a video game, if it's a sport activity, if it's 
spiritual activity if it's i don't mean like ghosts but or maybe it could be ghosts but whatever it is <laughs> uh, i do feel like that games can sit in that in that sort of that community um uh setting right so near where i live it's not it's not open at the moment because of the unfortunateness but uh, near where i live there's a, a place that you can go in and um they they do video game tournaments when they're yeah. open I'm not sure if they're around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that kind of stuff, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But I mean this is this is like this isn't even online games. This is like Street Fighter 2 on the SNES, unless you <laughs> set up a tournament, you know? Because why not? It's loads of fun. And it's like, yeah, all right, I got beaten, but I had a lot of fun and I'm watching other people and it's something I'm interested in. So I'll talk to this person or I'll talk to that person or maybe I'll get drawn into a conversation with people and it is a great way to sort of meet folks i just wanted to point out that i really do i I like the idea of using an mmo to sort of meet people where, you know, you have 20 monsters following you and you're trying to get to a safe place and you actually pull them right over another group and all of a sudden the monsters are like, oh, who are these little tasty snacks? And, <laughs> and, and they wipe out, you know, and then they blame you and it's, it's a, you know, and they're like, what guild is that, you know? And- Intro music is Among the Stars by Muse Station Productions. Outro music is I Need You Watashi no Sabate by GH. Spoiler break music is Spectrum Subdiffusion Mix by Phonics. Palette cleanser music is Breathe Deep, Breathe Clear by Siobhan Degay. See the show notes for more details. The Waffling Tailors podcast is a proud member of the J&J Media Network. To find out more about J&J Media, head over to jayandjay.media or check the show notes for a link.